so like I was saying, thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it because like, I don't know. I just feel supported when other people are involved. Like Ryan gets involved and then like you're coming on to talk about, you know, the stuff that we agree that we would get into with you. And mm-hmm. I don't know. Thanks yeah. for sharing. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank me after the fact. Yeah. Uh, no, I appreciate the fact that you did. What is that? Is that a Oh, uh, so I brought a photo because I thought kind of humanizing yeah, these two guys would be good. <coughs> wow. Oh my god, thank you. Is yeah. this some uh, I don't remember him from work, but is that your ex-husband? Yeah. What was his name again? I guess he's still my husband. He's never yeah. been an ex. Do you want to use his names? Because me and Ryan, we don't use names on no, the podcast. No, I don't know what to say. What should I call him? You could just say my ex-husband and your yeah. dad. Like that's Okay. My husband, my dad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was my wedding. Um, and yeah. Do you want to show it on camera? Yeah, we can show it. I don't... We can... If there's some way, other way we can. Yeah, so I'm not, I'm new to this. So yeah. I don't have a way of like actually like showing it on screen like high quality wise. It's I more will try for to you, for, yeah. Yeah, no. This you is to have an image in your mind because I don't know. I feel like talking with people, they don't really see my dad or Clint as, ooh, yeah. bleep as a real person <clears throat> no yeah and I, it, uh, i'm just gonna show it to the camera Keep yeah talking. please do yeah it's just um kind of putting a face to the name yeah <clears throat> oh you did say his name so if you want to use did. it from now on that's fine i don't it's, it's I really don't, whatever you're comfortable with so. i'll just say clinton because yeah yeah that's that's him that's my husband look at you looking all pretty in your yeah in your i know dress yeah <laughs> yeah. it had pockets it was fucking bomb your wedding dress was bomb yeah i had you pockets look so different oh it's the hair that's yeah what it is. my hair was done up and it's a different color and all that so yeah and, you know i was a little bit skinnier than not that looks it <clears throat> no you look the same i think okay yeah unless you feel like you look different yeah sorry go ahead you were saying something and i, I just don't got remember. super excited yeah no it was lovely that's just um my favorite photo i think of it's the only one i have really of the three of us mm-hmm. and i keep it on my kitchen counter do you want me to keep it or you want no, no, no 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 it's mean, like, mine set it down not to frame and put on my I wall know. but like what you want to no <laughs> it's all right after this no um <clears throat> yeah i keep it in kitchen because i don't know it's like I took all of my photos of Clint down when we separated and he moved out. And that felt, at the time, it felt right because I was trying to move on from him. Right. And so just, sorry, just so we're clear, to oh. start at the beginning, yeah. your husband is now late. Like, he's your yes. late husband. Yes. And the reason is he committed suicide. Yes, he killed okay. himself. Yeah. yeah. You say it's so harsh. Like, I, I don't know how it feels. I know about, like, kill himself you know like it's so i'm sorry okay no you could refer i to don't that. know what else to say yeah he shot Is himself that... in the head Jeez. i want to like i want people to know that's what happened it's like yeah. because when people die any other way like from cancer you say oh he died from lung cancer liver disease you know and this is how he died and yeah he he shot himself so sorry yeah but you were saying something before i cut you off you were saying like um <clears throat> Yeah, um, we got married in 2011. Mm-hmm. Uh, was that what I was talking about? I don't even Probably, know. Probably, but it's fine. Just roll with it. Yeah. <clears throat> so we got married in 2011. We'd been together for quite a while, like 
2007 to then. So that was four or five years. And yeah. then it was after I graduated uh, college that we decided to, you know, make that commitment to each other. Yeah. Celebrate it with our families. How old were you when you guys met? Um, I was 18. And he was how old? Probably the same age. 22. He was in college. Oh, he was like four years yeah, old. Yeah. He, he's, uh, he was five, four, five years older than me. Okay. I remember. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, He'd already been through college when we met, so it was kind of like an interesting difference. Like he was an adult and doing adult things and having a career, you know, professional job. And then I was going to college and growing up and learning how to adult. It's kind of interesting. It was kind of like uh, the person who, outside of my dad, introduced me to things like food, how to do your taxes. This is how you take care of your car. And it's just kind of, interesting to have grown up with him yeah into an adult. how old were you when you guys actually <coughs> met each other um i was 18 18 20. Yeah. okay that's when yeah you met. sorry yeah brain, yeah brain i'll fart. say that because we knew each other before but it was more casual friends that's what i'm saying like it's not like you guys grew up together or anything nope. or like childhood friends or anything nope, no so you met like how did you guys meet it was online yeah yeah, through a friend. My best friend in high school, she had dated him online, and we played video games together a bit. And then, um, like, my senior year in high school, she reintroduced me to him, said, I think you guys would like each other. You guys have a lot in common. We're both atheists, um, fairly liberal views. We liked gaming. We were nerds and into books. So we just instantly yeah. clicked. I don't know. Why? Just, are, I'm curious. Were you always an atheist, or did you grow up religious? The only uh, reason I asked is because, like, last episode, I, I kind of yeah. shared on atheist a little bit. <laughs> Sorry. But go ahead. Um, I grew up atheist, I guess. Uh, I don't I, know. Okay. I take that back. Um, I believed in God. Mm-hmm. And it was probably until I was in high school that I changed my mind. That's you a change. You're like, nope, nope, this is over. Nobody just controlling this. Nobody's in charge. It took a while. It's not uh, like it was dramatic. It uh, was more... I never felt a connection with to any God or spiritual or like no, not I won't say that because okay. I feel like I can connect with people that way spiritually, or I I have you feel in a one to one intrapersonal connection, yeah, as opposed to like going through a middleman, yeah, okay. like it's not a heavenly thing. It's more of a natural connection with people on the earth. Like that's what yeah. uh, calls to me more is mm-hmm. like we share, uh, we share the earth. We share mother nature. We're all made of star stuff. So for me, like it's a deep connection that we share as humans rather than it being a God, I'll put us on this earth to get along and treat each other nicely kind of thing. So it, it's just a different source for me. Yeah. Maybe. Um, so I grew up, I was, um, my dad was atheist and then my mom was semi-religious. We never okay. went to church, but she told what me. What religion, if you don't mind? I don't know. Just some off-brand Christian. <laughs> off-brand Christian. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm going to use that for now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sorry. So yeah, you were talking about you and, and Clint were atheists. Yeah. So we had a lot in common. We yeah. just connected that way talking about it. It's not like we were like, yeah, we both like hate religion and stuff. It's more of um I've read this book 
by Carl Sagan and it made me think this way. And he was like, wow, yeah, like I love Carl Sagan too. Like what he says speaks to me as well. And, you know, just kind of sharing those inspirational views, I suppose. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So then you guys, would you say you hit it off? Yeah, definitely. You hit it off? Yeah, we clicked really well. So we met probably... When I turned 18, my birthday's in November, and then about six months later or so, he came down to visit me from, uh, he lived in Salt Lake City, Utah, and he came down to Phoenix, Arizona from my graduation, and then shortly after, we found an apartment and moved in together, mm-hmm. and then we were kind of inseparable after that. Really? Yeah. How, how long did you guys date before <laughs> you moved in and decided to get married? I guess, I don't, we didn't traditional do any traditional dating like we were friends online and we talked all the time and chat or via text and we talked on the phone we did webcam so Mm -hmm. we would do things like uh we'd do a webcam and then watch a movie together and talk about it so that's like the dating we would do yeah and so we'd hang out and do that or play games so i guess we'd do it all the time we'd that's a really smart way of like dating long long distance i guess is, yeah is using the technology to like yeah. make it work it's a lot easier to do nowadays yeah yeah i had a i i don't know if it was a date but like i, I guess it was a date where I, I met this girl back in new york sorry to cut you off but no please just, tell me it's relevant stories so. but we had, i ended up like hooking up my computer to my tv and then share my TV via Skype so <sighs> she could see it. So we like had a date yeah. watching a movie together. Her, she was in her bedroom, like mm-hmm. wherever she lived in Long Island. I was home. It wasn't our first date, but like we we met up a couple of times, and was, we ended up watching that movie American Pop that I lent you. Yeah, yeah. really. Mm-hmm. Okay. And she liked it. Um, but yeah, sorry. <laughs> so you guys didn't technically like have a period where you lived in the same area, but just met up for yeah. like drinks or we did not dinner. do traditional dating so no. as soon as he moved to phoenix you guys kind of like like we he moved, moved into he moved here to move in with you yes I so see. as soon i flew up there to salt lake and i helped him pack his things into a truck and then we drove it all down here and we moved into the same apartment at the same time wow so you yeah. guys must have really liked each other like i guess sparks so. were flying everywhere yeah it was hot and heavy you oh know? Hot and heavy. <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh no uh, go, ahead. go ahead i mean it worked out i needed a place to live sort of i was living with my dad but it just wasn't quite right um and he wanted to live with me and you know was it his idea to yeah okay. he it was all him when you say you were you and your dad think things weren't quite right, what do you mean? Um I Your dad also passed away sorry, before you answer that question. Your dad passed away like what, a year ago? Two years ago. Two years ago. Yeah. Okay. So it's still fairly fresh. Yes. Okay. Um uh he smoked inside the house, so it was just uncomfortable for me. And then also it just there wasn't enough room for me there I guess for me to do all of my studies for college in a private area all I had was like one little bedroom so it just wasn't comfortable so I was thinking about moving out anyway and moving in with Clint seemed like a good idea yeah okay like why not so I had a job and at the time I you know i put in for like groceries or whatever I needed I put in money and then he paid the rent and all that and I don't know there wasn't ever really a solid agreement on anything we just supported each other and yeah yeah 
So, and how old were you when you moved in? Like 20? Nope, it was 18. It was the same year. It was the same year? Yeah. It was like within eight months of like really hitting it off online. I moved in. I know. It was scary and fast. And my my dad was like going crazy. He was just like, I can't believe this is what you want to do. But okay, like you're an adult and you can do what you want. So. And he met Clint, and he liked him a lot. They got along super well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so what was it like after you guys moved in together, and then, like, how long did it take after soon after for you to get married? Like, how old were you when you got married? Um, That was after I graduated from college, so we lived together for four years. Okay. <clears throat> and he supported me while I went through that, and I supported him while his job um, – he had to switch his job, let him go. He was working remotely for a company in Salt Lake, and they're just like, oh, we can't do this anymore. And so I just encouraged and helped him to find a new one. Just so for the listener, like oh, anyone listening, like, sorry. no, it's fine. Um, you and I work for the same company, and that's how I met you. Yes. And then Clint worked for the same company same as well. Same company, right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So he got the job at mm-hmm. our company. Yeah. And then. And I graduated college and i just sort of floated around until i got a job at a museum and worked there for a while Um, okay yeah Um, the whole we we got married pretty much immediately after i graduated it was just you know we were just waiting until that was settled that part of our lives were set yeah well that's smart of you guys that you well both of you to finish that you finish college yeah and then get to like reasonably stable jobs and exactly then yeah like it's whose all idea about was that was it yours or his it was mutual it was mutual yeah. yeah so yeah it seems like you guys are on the same page for so far anything. yeah definitely yeah and um i don't know um so i worked with a museum for a while and then at some point i just couldn't it was just too much for me. Like that place just, it was wonderful and amazing, but I was just working way too much and it was phys- like affecting my health physically and mentally. Oh, working at the, yeah, it was just mus- stressful? Yeah, like being thrown under the bus occasionally. At a museum? By my it's creative so director. Yeah. Really? Yeah, he was a jerk, still is. <laughs> and uh, I, I loved the other people though that I worked with, it was just not it's just a nonprofit, not being paid enough and then being overworked because it's a nonprofit, so they can only afford like half as many employees as a normal company. So, um and then that's when Clint said, Hey, you should come work where I work. It's pretty awesome. I'm like, Oh, cool. So he kinda put my name into a recruiter and I applied separately anyway and then I got the job there. And that was interesting, working at the same company with my spouse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's how I met my ex-wife. Um, I'm, we, we were 19 when we were both in college, our community college, but mm-hmm. we used to both tutor at the same department. Nice. And, yeah. and that's how what we started. Subject? I used to do math really? and statistics, like algebra, trigonometry, and statistics. Um, I can't remember any of it. Oh, okay. sorry. I was going to say I didn't catch you as a math nerd. I wasn't. I was just. I got a good grade into math. Yeah. So, and that's all that was. Um, and <laughs> I needed a job, and it was community college. So like, I was, cool. I was reasonably, you know, in tune with the knowledge of math. I don't want to say. Yeah. You know. But anyway, so we <laughs> met and we would just hang out all day together and get food together, and then of course, like, 
um we just kind of bonded and she would like call me every night at 9 p.m and i didn't really i would just like talk to her because she was like my only friend i guess because i was fairly new to new york and so was she um and then that's how we ended up dating just like working together but sorry i just threw that in there go ahead no yeah um yeah it it's interesting like planning lunch you know and carpooling to and from work and figuring that out together oh my god Uh, we probably would have been better off working at different companies to be honest yeah because um, our personalities after work didn't jive like i want to get what i'm Mm. feeling out so my frustration i'd be like i have to tell someone and rant you know and then but he's very he was very um uh, keep it to himself he didn't l- express his anger or frustration much and then he also absorbed all of my frustration and anger yeah so we'd be like in the car driving home after work and I'd be like ah this guy motherfucker idiot blah 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 and then yeah. he would absorb it and i'd see that and kind of i'd, I'd feel awful because i'm like well, you didn't know at the time, though. I mean, you were just, like, living your life and he yeah, was living his life. Yeah, I really didn't know a lot of, I don't know, my yeah. thoughts on things are upon reflection. No, you're good. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, that, well, that's the luxury of it is, like, you have time now to... Yeah. to Hindsight is twenty twenty, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but I, I, do, I do know what you feel because, like, a lot of my relationships, my six-year stint and then the year and a half after they were very talkative and i think i just think it's a difference between <laughs> men and women in relationships like women talk through things yeah and men think through things like yeah. we we just kind of process it you know what i mean but I definitely it, and, agree there. yeah we hold on to it but i do realize like probably part of the reason why i'm doing this podcast is, like women are smarter that way in the sense that like <laughs> they they help talking about it and and hearing yourself talk about it kind of like puts it in perspective too yeah and I think that's what kind of like made me a bad boyfriend in a certain way is just like not because when you hold on to that emotion, yeah. it drives you nuts because well, like you, yes. you're in your own head. You got, yes, it. exactly. You have to get it out of your mind. So that way you can see it from a perspective that isn't distorted by right. your own thoughts. Exactly. Yeah. And I realized like you have to talk stuff out and, and, and it helps. And it all, I realized now like the times in my life when I didn't talk through things, mm-hmm. I was very depressed yeah very depressed i was just like i felt alone in the world i felt like i had nobody and just like it's unhealthy to like not talk about things like yeah as human beings we just like really need to well we need each other but especially in a relationship it's like communication is key it's number one and the main thing is to talk it through if you don't tell someone how you're feeling or how their actions affect you vice versa then you know you can never actually deal with it and then you just hold it in yeah yeah yeah. i don't know so (laughs) you guys used to work together and you would Um, ride home together yeah like you wanted to do different things and what did he what was he into like after work oh my god video games yeah Yeah. well that's how you guys met right like you used to play video games online yeah Yeah. so he just kind of stayed the same person yeah pretty much he always loved video games and it'd either be single person and puzzle games uh multiplayer with his friends i'd join in we'd have gaming nights with his buddies at work and we'd play for hours Mm -hmm. just silly games yeah really fun what how old are you in like was there a point where hit where you because you mentioned that 
what he wanted to do after work and what you wanted to do after work were started like became different yeah i would definitely say after i started working at the same company as him yeah, was that because you're working at the same company no. Well, why do you think it? No, I think it's because I felt like I had more time. I could do more of my own things. Like, I wasn't working all these extra hours for the museum. So I was like, holy crap, now I can actually do my hobbies, you know, like watercolor and I can read and do projects around the house because by then we we were purchasing a house and moving into it. And I was excited about that. Yeah. So, yeah. And I wanted to do all that stuff. He wasn't so much. He was into the house buying. He wanted to do that. But um, I don't know. It was like after we we bought the house, we finally had the keys and were responsible for it, that he realized, oh, this is a bit more than what I was expecting. Really? <laughs> yeah. And how old are you at this point? You guys are? Uh, probably 28. Okay. Yeah, 27, 28, I when think. When you guys both. So he was, well, you're 28, but he had to be like, what, 32 at this point? Yes. If my math is right. Yep. Um, So he's 32. You guys bought the house. Do you feel like he wasn't ready for that responsibility? I think he just, I think it was combined with not expecting all the responsibility of taking care of a house. And then shortly after that, my dad was getting sick. So the stress of like, having to take care of a sick family member was mm. being put on him as well. And then work got stressed also. So it yeah. kind of felt like for him or you for him that these things kind of just compounded upon him and over time. So it's not like it was all at once, but it's like these things were happening and near the end, he was just kind of like, I don't want to do all of this adult stuff. I don't want to do all of these things that require responsibility and time. He was just, he wanted to do his own stuff and escape into his own reality, I think. Yeah. yeah. And how long did that happen from the point where like the, you realized a change where like you wanted certain things and he didn't want certain things. And like the, I guess the beginning of the end, if I had to phrase it. Yeah. I mean, I mean like, what, what do you think? Me, you, you, said, you said, like, things started getting more, like, more responsible. Like, what was yeah. happening? What do you think was happening in his mind, I guess? Well, let me, let me, um, we're going to backtrack a little bit. Yeah, sure. He'd had, um, like, a breakdown after he'd first started working at that company. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know what led to it. I still don't understand um, he was struggling with substance abuse, alcohol, and he was drinking a lot. I don't know if it was work that was causing it or something else, something more just mental himself. Um, but he became like delusional and paranoid about so many way. things, like thinking that, um, he was paranoid about his coworkers, like plotting against him or planning things that were testing him like like they were doing things that were testing his friendship or his ability to work or figure things out like they were like playing practical jokes but like they were trying to make a point and then he also thought that like the government was had come into our apartment and like put tracking devices on his laptop there was like was he doing was he doing anything that would be questionable to the government that you know of? Like, was he visiting, like, like the dark web or anything like that? No, he never went there, but I don't... He got into 
conspiracy theories with the LDS church. So maybe okay. there was that. He was really, he was reading some like conspiracy theorist books about like government control and takeover and then about the corruption of the LDS church. He is from a Mormon family. So that Mormon religion was very like embedded in his uh, childhood and his adulthood even. So mm. um, I well, think. Well, I thought he was atheist. He is, yeah, and he he grew up Mormon though, and that's not. I mean, that was put on him as a child. Yeah. He was forced to go to church and forced to do this and that. And I mean, he tried. I guess that's what he said, is he tried to find something in the Mormon religion for him, but it didn't work. But he struggled with his family expressing that, saying, "This isn't for me. This isn't working for me." Like. I, I can't find solace in your religion or any, like, guiding, yeah. whatever. And they, what was their response to that? They didn't like that, of course. They're like, well, no, you you have to go to church as long as you're living here or until you're 18. And oh, then, my God. My dad said that to me one time. Yeah. Sorry. So, um, <clears throat> and then there's other pressure with that. That's just family. Um, so do you feel like in his older years mm-hmm. he was trying to escape from the responsibility he felt like at from a young age where it was just like this all this 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 pressure from like people around and then like now as in a, he's an adult and he's functioning on his own like mm-hmm. pay his own bills at least yeah that he just wanted to like be carefree and, and like lose responsibility in yeah it definitely felt like that okay yeah i it kind of felt like he'd was sort of giving up and not wanting to do things we'll we'll get to that I think. yeah um so yeah he um so he had a breakdown just from all those thoughts they were just taking over and I noticed he was completely different he didn't act the same way with me and the conversations we were having were very um like strange yeah they were strange they were like a little out there he'd be like he'd come to me and say um hey, did you, um, he's like, have you been on my laptop lately? And I'd say, well, no, because that's your laptop. Of course not. And he'd say, well, because I logged in and I have, like, I found stuff showing that people were tracking me and I found these files on there I've never seen before. Like on his laptop? Yeah. I don't, I don't, I have no idea what actually, what was the reality of it and what he was making up in his own mind. I would try to parse things together, like talk to him logically and work through stuff and say, well, you know, like, okay, you're, you're a little out there. Your friends at work would not do this to you. Like your boss wouldn't be running games that are like, you know, to try to force you out or something. That's not what would happen. So you try to reason with him through yeah. logic and say, it's hey, just hey, totally, just, no, it totally didn't What was his reaction work. though? Was he like, oh, you're on their side kind of? like? No, he never thought I was against him. He just okay. thought I wasn't listening to him. Hmm. So he just thought I wasn't taking him seriously. So finally there was one evening where I just couldn't take it anymore. It was just driving me crazy. And I was panicking. I was freaking out because I didn't know what was going on with him. How long did it take you to get to that point? Uh, a couple of weeks, maybe. Less than a month? Much less than a month. Okay. Probably within two weeks. It like really escalated quickly. His thoughts of delusion and paranoia were just intense. Um, and it also took... 
he was at work one day and something went overboard. I don't remember um, okay. clearly to tell the story, but it something happened and his boss ended up calling me, telling him, telling me that they let him go home early because he was just not himself at all. So I think like that, hearing that someone else that knew him from a day to day basis could see that he was different and acting differently like that really sparked something in my mind to do something about it because I thought I couldn't tell if it was just when he was home he was that way or if things were actually that way at work um but so you got acknowledgement that it was yeah, his frame of mind confirmation all from someone else that he right. was acting outside of the norm and um so I took him to the hospital because I didn't know where to go like yeah. you know I I could set an appointment for a therapist, I guess, but that would be weeks. And then it's happening right now. And it's all the time. I didn't know if it was from the alcohol or he was also smoking marijuana at the time. So is it that? Is it some physical illness? Because there are things that can happen that can cause you to become delusional that are in your mind that are happening to your brain. So that's why I just took him to the hospital and we sat in the ER for a couple hours because, you know, he's not bleeding out or anything. So it's not that important. Right. And then uh, finally he was admitted and they scanned him all over and they checked out his brain and we were interrogated by multiple different types of social workers and counselors before they decided to send him to a behavioral institute. And so sorry to interrupt. No, but go ahead. So while this is happening where you decided to take him to the hospital, what was his frame of mind? Because you kind of took, it seems like you took control of that situation and you became assertive. Mm -hmm. What was his mentality and frame of mind? Was he like, wow, what's happening? Was it? The thing is, I didn't try to be assertive with him. I tried to be like working and talking with him saying, "Um, you know, I... I I am worried for you is what I would say is I'm scared about you. You're scaring me. I don't know what's happening. And there would be moments of clarity where he would say, yeah, I don't feel right. You know, he said that. Yes. Yeah. Or he would say he would see that I was telling that he was telling me stories. And I'd say, these don't make sense. Don't you see that they're like they're crazy. And there were some times where he used the word crazy. Yes. Okay. No, I just. Don't feel bad about it. I just yeah. want to know. like, and, and he, there were very small, tiny little blips where I could see that he could see that there was something wrong, but maybe he was just lost in it. I don't know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I tried my best to so what happened after the convince hospital? him. Yeah. yeah, I was like, you know, like, let's like, I, I really I'm really worried for you. This is scaring me. And I think we need to go see a professional. And so that's how I got him to go to the hospital with me. Uh, while we were in the waiting room, I had to spend quite a bit of time just con- reconvincing him to stay with me mm-hmm. that we were here for his health because he would like lose track of time kind of and be like where are we again? And I'm like, well, we're at the hospital because you're kind of, you know, not. So at a certain point, it was clear that his mind or brain was not, it wasn't just delusion. It was like something. Yeah. Misfiring, I guess it would be the best term to use. That's yeah. Okay. And what happened next? Um, We were, like I said, he was admitted to the hospital and they did 
like I don't know scans and shit whatever they do at hospitals yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like they they checked his brain they looked through his body they did blood tests and then we had we spoke with different counselors there was someone who specialized in substance abuse alcohol and um he was really saying well it's the marijuana that's causing all this the so, doctor was saying this um no it was a separate social like social worker slash counselor that yeah. So it wasn't the primary care physician who was working with him that was saying that. A big case of the old reefer madness. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I highly doubt that. I think it, it, did he drink a lot? Yeah, he drank a lot. Okay. Like to the point where he, he'd be downing like multiple shot glasses of Everclear in the evening and then like till he just passed out, blackout yeah. drunk, you know, so. If anyone doesn't know this, alcohol does extreme damage to your brain. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah. <clears throat> but so you went to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Yep. Doctors they, analyzed him. Yeah. And they're like, well, it's not and not anything physical. So the only other thing is to send him to a facility where they can work on his mental health. Okay. So that's why they sent him to a place in downtown. And um, that was kind of scary admitting him there because he was... I could tell his apprehension going in there. I could tell that he was hesitant to give up his rights for help, I guess. In the sense that like, he had to like he had submit to, yeah. his responsibility to another person. All so of it. Like He had to change his clothes. He had to sign away uh, being able to leave whenever he wanted to. Really? Yeah. He could only call at certain times. Like, it was all subject to what they would deem appropriate for him, which, I mean, when you think about the some of the folks that go in there or get admitted yeah, to Yeah, because it's a home, mental institution. Yeah, basis. that makes sense. Yeah. But I could sense his, you know, apprehension and kind of fear of going Rightfully in there. Rightfully so, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. And um, he, so he was admitted and he stayed in, oh, I can't remember now, maybe like, it wasn't that long, maybe two weeks. Okay. Yeah. It was short. The doctors told me it was short for how long people usually spend there. Short in the sense that it got him back on track or short in the sense that it wasn't working and he needed to leave? Or <clears throat> No, I think they felt like they got him on track on a, in a healthy way. I is he allowed I, to drink in there? No, they control everything. So whatever you're eating and all your liquids and everything, no, there wouldn't be any alcohol in there. I think they allowed smoking c- cigarettes in certain places, yeah. certain amounts, you know, based on the doctor's approval. But yeah, definitely no alcohol. So yeah, he was definitely like <laughs> went cold turkey right. as soon as he went in there. Um, I only talked to him maybe a couple of times while he was in there. Yeah. And you guys are married at this point. Yeah. That's your husband. Yeah. Of mental I'd, I'd call and say, can I talk to him? And they're like, well, no, because you know, he's in here for his own health. Like he can only speak to you at certain times when they're allowed to. And only when the doctors think it's okay, there are like different, they call them like pods or sections in this mental health facility. Mm-hmm. And when he was admitted, he was put in one that was highly restrictive. So you have like a certain room that you have to stay in. If you go out into the open area, it's only for certain hours. Like you have a strict regimen of like uh, activities, they say, or counseling sessions to go to. Um, at least that's what he told me. 
Um, yeah. What was that experience like for you? Your, I mean, your husband's. I mean, scary as hell. I was at home panicking because I didn't know if I'd ever get him back. I didn't know if this was permanent, or if they'd be able to help him out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Wow. It was scary. I was cleaning the house nonstop. I couldn't figure out what to do. I was still working. I had to go to my job and go into the museum every day and deal with all that crap while doing this. Luckily, everyone was understanding and I could. Wait, I thought, sorry, I thought you and him were already at the same company. No, I'm sorry. This was before. Yeah. Yeah. So, so. Go ahead. So he yeah. came, So what was it like when he came out? Did he? Did he? Was he on medication in there? Yes. So okay. they. Yep. They started him on medication, and then they uh, did different like, I don't know. I assume they did some sort of counseling sessions. He honestly didn't talk about much of it when he came out. Really. Yeah. He just. I mean, he was a pretty private guy anyway, and it was really hard to like get details and stories out of him to begin with yeah (laughs) so and i can understand why he wouldn't want to talk about it It made him uncomfortable there were crazy people like he said i'm sorry that is totally offensive and i take that back it's fine the name on a podcast is who's offended yeah fuck it (laughs) and he's like uh there was one lady who was like a sex crazed woman or something and she kept hitting on him and like showing him her underwear and like trying to get him to like interact with her there were other people Did they have a common area where yeah. they all okay yeah so uh, this lady is just walking around showing yeah everyone her she's body. just walking around talking loud showing her underwear you know trying to get him to you know touch her and you know Ooh. do stuff with her like um okay uh and then there were other people who'd like um try to assert their dominance over him he said there was uh one guy in there with him that whenever they would come out for like meals he would always be near clint and like try to like dominate him and like be near him and and, like keep people from talking to him or try to take his food or items away from him of course there's only so far you can go because there were doctors in the facility there who are right, monitoring they're monitoring it sounds like prison yeah. for crazy people but yes it is like, it's or prison not for crazy people. people mentally unstable people crazy people yeah crazy people yeah. Right, go ahead yeah so they were monitoring him yeah like, so it obviously it was not a super happy place to be. He got into another like section or pod that was a lot more relaxed. And that's when we were actually able to have phone calls and I could talk to him. And by then, when I was talking to him, then he was more sane and back to his normal self. I could tell like just the things we were talking about really? or he was telling me like they were less I, I don't know. There's like a way of speaking too, that when he would tell me about his delusions or s- stuff, he would be very emphatic about it and kind of like anxious and worked up and he was much calmer. I can only assume that must be result of the medication and whatever kind of counseling they were doing in there. Well, whatever it was, it was a combination of like the experience so maybe just like not having the stress of responsibility of like life and then maybe the help of people paying attention to you and then so so do you feel like you got your husband back when he came out yeah for the most part yeah and what was it like after that 
Um, it was okay. It kind of went back to normal a little bit. Um, he had some time off from work, uh, and so he spent some time just getting comfortable around the house, and we were trying to do things to minimize stress between the two of us, so, you know, we worked on that, and then he went back to work, and it kind of went back to normal. We never really talked about it. Um, I would try to ask him questions, but I could tell that if I probed too much, it made him really uncomfortable, and I just didn't want to do that. If he wanted okay. to keep it private, then that's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, I don't know, it just sort of went away. It was kind of like a one-time incident, it felt like, um, until, you know, years later. when Years later? Years later. So did that he, was... Did he start, like, drinking or, like... So was he on nope. medication when you came back out? Yep, he was on medication. What kind of medication? Uh, it was antidepressants. Um, he had something like it was some combination of Zoloft, a sleep medication, and then something to help with his blood pressure because of the anxiety. Yeah, okay. or something like that. So. Again, not stuff he really shared with me. He didn't really tell right. me what his medications were or that. I mean, it's not like he had to, but right. I didn't really know. Felt and it they was weren't mysterious. like you didn't keep them like on the counter at home. Or I anything. mean, he kept them in the bathroom, but I didn't know exactly what he was taking because. Yeah, you didn't. You didn't pry. Yeah, okay. exactly. I let him have his privacy after all that. Right. And D so my question is. Um, is, was he diagnosed with some kind of mental, like... When they released him, they said it was substance abuse. But I don't know. I don't know what to think about that. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't really diagnose him with anything in particular. At least if they did, they didn't tell me, and they didn't really say much to me at all, which is something that kind of irritates me about that whole experience, is I felt like, yeah, I was a spouse, and... They kept me in the dark. Yeah. I just felt like I, they wouldn't talk to me about it at all. So they just chucked it up to substance abuse. Yeah, did that's they what chuck it up to marijuana or probably a combination of both alcohol and marijuana. So after he um, was released, he had those regular sessions with the counselor, and she would check his medication, say, "Are you still doing okay?" and adjust it as necessary. And then they would talk about, you know, stress, anxiety, ways of coping with that, and work. Mm. And then the other part would be uh, um, checking and making sure he's not drinking or consuming marijuana. So yeah. that was a regular thing. Um, but that only lasted for a couple of years until he stopped having regular counseling. Well, a couple of years is a long time to be. Okay, I'll mentally. say like, yeah, yeah, it you is. Know, it's an extended period of time. Yeah, I, would say. I will say he went he went back to drinking, but it was what a lot less. It was lighter. Uh, like he'd have maybe a beer when we were out with people or with family, yeah. or maybe one at home, and then that was it. And so. I saw that was a big change. Was there a period where he wasn't drinking at all, like any alcohol? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how long did it, it was a couple of years, you think? And then he was like, yeah, yeah I'll just have that beer. Yeah. I think it took him a while to become comfortable with drinking again. I don't know if he was afraid of it. Maybe he really just didn't want to. He yeah. was, he instead went to marijuana and he ended up just more smoking marijuana more regularly. 
yeah. over time. Yeah. So then what happened after the couple of years when he started drinking again? Like the I mean, he wasn't he wasn't drinking like before you said. He was like very light on it. Yes. It was just social. Yeah. Yeah. So what ended up happening like after that when it became like closer to you? So like how old were you guys at this point? Like still twenty eight? Thirty? I'm sorry, I have to do some math here. Yeah. We are like jumping around. <laughs> yeah. Um well this was in two thousand fourteen, so, so I five, guess yeah. what is that? Quick maths. So I was probably twenty six at the time, around there. Twenty five, twenty six. Okay. And he would have been thirty ish. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So the home life's back to normal pretty yep, much. Pretty much. We're doing our Working. gaming thing. If anything, it's even better because he <clears throat> became best friends with his team lead at work. He was a software developer. Okay. And um and then he made friends with a couple other guys there and we that's when we started playing games regularly, multiplayer with them. I would join in occasionally. I say regularly. He played regularly. Probably every other night he was playing video games with his guy friends, which okay. was awesome. Like I loved that he found people outside of our relationship to have like special time with because it seemed like he was like he didn't really have any outside friends outside of like we played D and D for a while, and then he had a breakdown, and then he just didn't have any friends for a few years, or so, like maybe a year and a half, two years, and then he, then he was connecting with his work buddies, I think, better right. when we were playing video games, and I don't know, it was fantastic because he was really into it, and then he also that I could see. I could see his whole demeanor kind of change. Like, yeah, so he's happier now, and you're happy yeah. because he's happy. Yeah. Okay. And it's all good. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, two years ago, <clears throat> I'll say two and a half years ago, in 2017, my dad um, got really sick. Uh -huh. He um, ha he drank his whole life, and he had uh, liver disease, and he died from that. And that was pretty... Um, I think traumatic for both of us because we were both there when he passed. For you and Clint. Yeah. Um, we both had never seen anyone die or really mm. kind of had to deal with loss yet. I mean, he had sort of, but they were extended family members. So, and he had become really attached to my dad. So, so I they mean, were close. Like yeah, they were good buddies. I mean, it's not like they were best friends hanging out all the time, but right. they were pretty close dudes. I was your dad more of a dad to Clint than his dad was? No, no, I wouldn't say that. Okay. Yeah. So he still, did he maintain a relationship with his parents, even though like. He had an okay relationship with them, I would say. There was Clint's a lot family. between him and his dad, though, that I don't think he overcame. Hmm. Yeah. And that's back to the religion and the, the way his dad was. And his dad raised the boys. He was not good. He, you know, um use corporal punishment against them things like hitting them with belts and steel rulers and mm -hmm. stuff so it wasn't super great but it seemed like he was overcoming that and he had a relationship with his parents yeah yeah mm -hmm. so your dad passed away and it took a toll on you and clint yeah and, yeah and then 
how was what were you feeling when your dad passed like um sucked i mean it was a huge loss my dad meant a lot to me and then it also sucked like the sadness of how he died i mean it's never do you want to mention how he died or no i mean that that's it is he just died from liver disease liver disease okay yeah it was just the effects of it. It was there a slow decline with your dad? Yeah. Or, okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely over time you could see it. Um, a lot of it was just like not being able to eat right. You get ulcers in your stomach and stuff, and then yeah. your body can't handle and process all the toxins like it used to be able to because you've destroyed your liver, and his liver was pretty messed up. So it's like. All the stuff that your liver processes and the liquids and everything, it just retains in your body. And then your body also retains liquid. So he was like having this buildup of all this nasty stuff in his body and then it's in his lungs and he can't breathe. And then his own mind is kind of like going to, I mean, so. Was Clint a part of that? Like how did... In the beginning, he was, and he was pretty um, helpful and a part of it in the beginning when my dad was really ill and he wasn't able to get around at home as well. Clint would help out and go over and, you know, prep dinner for him or would be with me. Like, we'd go over and have dinner every week at least. It was multiple times a week, like, within the last, probably the last six months of my dad's life. We were going over there multiple times a week to be with him or do stuff. Yeah. Well, did Clint's personality change during that process? Not then. Okay. Uh, well, okay. I take that back. Yes. Um, near the end, I could tell that he really didn't. I don't know if he was just trying to disconnect or dissociate himself from my dad's illness and taking care of him. But yeah, he definitely kind of stepped back and... Um, I think maybe that was for himself, mm. probably. Um, yeah, like just the stress of it all. So yeah. Getting to a point where he didn't know how to cope anymore. Yeah. Would that be a fair assessment? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So then your dad passed away, and then mm-hmm. you buried your dad, and then like. I did not bury him. He was actually cremated. Well, look at. I'm yeah. sorry, I'm wrong. <laughs> Thanks for correcting me. So. Um. Yeah. We dad. did that, and then my family was in town, um, and then we tried to go back to life life before taking care of my dad i mean it was six months of um, taking him to doctor's appointments and making sure that he's eating and staying alive and getting the health care he needs so it was like taking care of another person then he's was gone and then we're like okay well now we have to go back to our life in addition to having to handle all the fallout from my dad's death um and that was mostly on me and i was stressed out from all of the I was my dad's only child, and oh, okay. so were your parents together? Or are they split? They were divorced. They were divorced. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. And I, as the only child, I was the only one to take care of all of his things. That's his house, his personal belongings, and his finances, all of his accounts. You know, you have to contact past employers and get this wrapped up and that, and I have to find a lawyer and go through probate so I can get all of his. And at this point, Clint is checked out. Yeah. I mean, he was supportive of me when I was going, I mean, initially experiencing the grief and loss. He was there and would listen whenever I had something to say or 
be like, I don't know where to go from here. Or in the beginning, when we were first starting to clean out my dad's house, he was really helpful through all that. Um, but I don't know. It was, it's like I got caught up in that taking care of my dad's estate and his house and then also trying to pull myself out of a depression and be healthy mentally and physically. So I was running regularly and I was changing my diet to be healthier and I was trying to encourage him to join me in that, you know, bettering both of ourselves. And in the past, we were both very supportive in doing that, but it felt like he just didn't want to be part of it. He didn't want to, like, better himself physically and become healthier. I mean, he just didn't want to do it at the time. What? Why do you think he didn't want to do that? I have no idea. He just, and... Uh, Did it all just seem too hard for him? Probably. It was a lot going on. Yeah. I mean, he felt stressed because things were changing at work. They were changing the structure and management style, how their teams worked. And he was kind of adapting to that. Then there was my dad dying in the estate and I was freaking out and doing all that and I needed his help. Like I just couldn't handle it all. So I was having him help me with some of those tasks and um, also help like the biggest thing really was cleaning out my dad's house. I mean, he accumulated all this shit and he kept it for his entire freaking life. Like he had letters that he received from people when he was in high school and he had that stuff. But like he had receipts for decades worth of buying things and all that stuff had to be cleaned out and sorted through. And Clint, at, I feel like when we started doing that, that's when he just like stopped engaging with me and engaging with our marriage and life, I yeah. guess. Um, uh, so this is like three months after my dad died. Okay. And Clint's brother-in-law died. Oh, his, his sister's husband? Yes. Okay. So um, his sister means a lot to him. And her husband was, okay, we got along with him pretty well. He was an odd duck, and I think that's why Clint liked him. It's because he oh, was... Oh, yeah, they had like... Yeah, he was a... He, yeah quirks. quirks he was funky like you know he was an odd one so clint liked him and gravitated towards him i think i i don't know how much that how much uh, the combination of two that that's yeah. being close together yeah people that he is close to mm -hmm. and then you know you, you don't know what's going on in his head how he's dealing yeah with, like, I'm, i don't yeah he stopped really talking to me you know i'd have to really pry to get anything out of him i'd be like why are you like you're just sitting around all day now like it's at that point where it's starting he's just on the weekends didn't want to do anything and he's just kind of sitting and sleeping and then he'd wake up and then like doodle in his notebook for a bit yeah and then what would he doodle crazy stuff um he'd doodle thoughts things like <clears throat> funny i was looking at these today too his journals yeah um you kept them yeah i can't say goodbye to them yet i don't know it's weird i can't just throw them away you know 
like yeah. these journals, things that he wrote all his thoughts in. I just can't. I think you, you, sorry, you, you, um, one time we were talking about it, and I think you mentioned like he drew a diagram that connected things of like this is connected to this, yeah, but it like didn't make sense. To yeah, no, something. it was definitely bonkers. Some of it made sense, some of it were just like ramblings of him and philosophical ideas about what is life and you know all i'm looking for in life is to do this that you know i'm just trying to escape the government control and the cultural expectations and i just want freedom to enjoy life as it is like why do i have to commit all of this time just to surviving like i don't know he was there were a lot of rambles about that and then yeah there were some where it's just like these doodles where he was trying to express an idea and then he would draw it out and they'd be like little you know those uh bubble graphs or like word mm -hmm. clouds mm -hmm. and he'd connect lines and then draw stuff around them and he'd have numbers written out and then He'd have like all these little notes that were just, I don't know, it was just weird. And I'd ask him, what is that? What are you writing down? And he'd explain it to me, but it wouldn't make sense. Like, like I understand having notes and writing them in your own little language, like shorthand and like doodling little odd things. Like maybe you can't quite read the notes, but the substance you can get. And this, I could not understand what. He was was it a lot me. of existential stuff, like trying to make sense of like life and purpose? Of, like, it was why a little we're here. Kind yeah, of. I'd say half of it was that, and then half of it was just weird, random shit. Like uh, he was really into quantum physics and science stuff. Yeah, because that's a popular. All the cool kids are into totally. quantum physics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. No. <laughs> <laughs> he. I don't know. He just. He'd buy like old quantum physics textbooks online and he'd like read them and he had these calculus books and he'd practice the equations. But then the equations would like morph into some combination of like AI algorithm. Like, uh, I'm like, this is. I, I don't know. Like, he was trying to like write his own algorithm software thing something? i don't know yeah it was just confusing okay i'm just gonna stop there and say i tried normally when people have notes they make sense when they explain them to you these did not yeah it was weird i'm trying to figure out what's going on in his head i know like this is what i've been trying to do for years now i don't yeah it's confusing yeah. So anyway, so so he was writing create notes in his journal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and he's uh isolating himself from me and and then I could see from his friends he stopped gaming with his buddies. He would I don't know, he just kind of stopped. I don't it wasn't Was he drinking again? No, he wasn't drinking. Was he, he still was, taking his medication? I don't know when he stopped taking his medication, but I know he stopped taking them oh. that year. Okay. After my dad passed, at some point he stopped. Yeah. Um, he was smoking quite a bit, uh, smoking marijuana. Um, I don't know how much that played into his thoughts because that was one of the fun things he enjoyed about marijuana is like all the mind yeah. exploration. I wonder if he's him. one, like, I don't know if this is a <laughs> thing. I'm just thinking out loud. I wonder if like, weed affected him negatively 
No. Yeah, I do wonder that myself. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because, like, <laughs> everyone talks about weed, and it's so popular now. Like, everyone... It, yeah. It, it seems to have more positive benefits than negative ones. Yeah, and it's... But I wonder, if, like, the way he was programmed that, that... However, his mind was wired that it affected him in a way that it doesn't affect other people. Well, I feel like any substance, too, you can overdo it, and it can have a negative effect. It can be habit-forming, and I think he definitely formed a bad habit consuming was he smoking it. a lot because uh, yeah. i think they say like weed is not habit forming like it's not an addictive drug it doesn't have addictive properties, properties right. but like anything it can be habit forming because you can it's it's more of yourself forming the habit of going and smoking this every day where you make it available to yourself and you make it part of a routine and becoming reliable you think reliant was, upon it yeah oh, okay yeah. yeah. So, so when did a relationship become like an unhappy one to say? Probably four or five months after my dad had passed, it became it came to a point where I was coming home and it was just he was I he was unhappy and I could tell it was radiating from him and then I was unhappy and that was probably radiating from me and affecting him. We weren't driving like we used to. We would argue over a lot of little things. Um, just silly stuff, stuff that we used to be able to laugh off, you know, or things that we'd be like, we'd be a little bit, you know, the the shit that you do, like you're leaving your cans everywhere. Like, can you please clean up your soda cans that are all over the counters? But we had worked out a way to, I don't know, overcome those arguments and obstacles in a healthy adult way in our relationship. Mm -hmm. But it broke down and we were just all these little things we would just pick at each other and hold things against each other both of us why do you think that is i don't know i don't know it became harder to get along with him like to tell him how i was feeling he didn't seem sympathetic towards me when i was telling him about that the grief that I was feeling about my dad. He wouldn't listen anymore. He just didn't want to be a part of it. And then he would hold things against me, like what I was making him do, or, you know, I didn't allow this to happen. And it's, it's just, it was just petty arguments. And, um, I got frustrated and, but. You got frustrated because things have changed. Like the the reasons that, kept you together wasn't there anymore yeah we were we used to get along and then we just didn't anymore and i'm like i don't know why i don't know why that was happening yeah i mean yeah we're going through a sucky time and i'm like okay well what we need is we need to talk to someone marriage counseling we'll go to a counselor and that person can help us work through this and i'm glad we did that we did about three sessions three no we did four we did four sessions with the marriage counselor And when we met with this lady, it would be together at first. We'd talk to her at the same time, and then it would be separate. So she'd have, like, you know, 20 minutes with me and then 20 minutes with Clint. And then we'd come together at the end to kind of conclude the session. And we would talk about things like what makes us upset, what do we think are obstacles in our relationship, and then what do we want with this relationship? You know, do we want to be together? Or are we actually looking to separate? Right. Like, is the common goal the same? Mm -hmm. Because if the common goal isn't the same, then you can't. And then what do you need to do for that? To get there. Yeah. Yeah. 
Clint wanted to keep the relationship together. I was feeling like we were almost at a point where we couldn't. I wanted to try. And at the end of, like, at the fourth session, that's, it felt like, it felt like he just didn't want to put in the effort. Like, he wanted our marriage to last. I could tell he still loved me, and I still loved him. Yeah. But it's like he just didn't want to put in the effort. Like, he was just tired of it all? Yeah. Yeah, like, he was just defeated by it by not just the marriage but like everything yeah or was it just the marriage no i think it was a lot of things like all of it yeah all of it like i could just tell from his posture and the way he talked that he was just not wanting he just didn't care he was kind of like like yeah i I want to be together but it's also like but if you don't want to live with me anymore then okay like okay he was just kind of and especially um okay so we did we did these four sessions and at the end of it, I said, well, you don't look like and you're not acting like you want to put in the effort to make this work. Like you're not willing to talk to me and not willing to, you know, sacrifice things to to get there. Just yeah. like you, know, you have a goal in mind, but uh-huh. you're not you, you're not willing to try to yeah. figure out the path to that goal is like, yeah. Okay. And, and so I said, it doesn't look like you're committed, so I want a divorce. How long did it take you to ask for a divorce? It was in that session, the last one that I did. Oh, okay. yeah. Did you know you were going to say that? Yeah, or? I kind of went into the appointment knowing that yeah. that's what I wanted. And after talking to her about it, then, yeah, that's what we came to at the end. And what happened after that? Um, then it was okay. We, that was his reaction? He okay. was like, okay. Yeah. Wow. <clears throat> sounds like he was going through a lot and he just really didn't know how to cope with it. Yeah. It just, that's what it's, it sounds yeah. like. Like he just ended up, I don't know, he cut everyone out. He wasn't talking to family or friends about anything or hanging out with anyone. And it it's like he just wanted to separate and disassociate from everyone and everything. Just like not want to deal. Yeah. Um. So we... I already had like a financial advisor that I was using um, from my father's estate. And um, she also did, you call it mediation for divorce. So um, she met with Clint and I. And Clint was very, hmm, I think he just wanted it to be done and over with. He didn't want to fight. I think we were both done fighting. So everything that we decided on how to separate our assets um everything we've accumulated together he was just kind of whatever about it was really easy because we both agreed on a lot of the same things um so uh, did you agree or was it he just didn't care to no we agreed okay yeah there were things like we discussed the house for a while and i said i'd really like the house because i'd invest more money into it in the beginning and he knew that and he respected it like he understood that and he's like yeah okay that makes sense and then in exchange he got other things um and we talked about it so it wasn't like i said this is what i want and then he said okay whatever it was a okay uh that sounds good to me but this i want this instead or we're gonna do it this way differently but for the most part it was just easy because I mean, um, 
we just didn't argue about it, I guess. Yeah. Did, and was it because neither one of you had the energy to fight about Probably. it? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Yeah. So what happened? So. On, like, you guys figured out the house and you figure out who's going to uh-huh. get what. Yeah. So you stayed in the house and where did he end up going? Um, so he was living with me until what he decided to do was move up to Salt Lake City back in with his family. He was looking for a place in Phoenix, but first of all, I think he didn't feel like he wanted to stay in Arizona because it just wasn't his home. Right. Um, and then on top of that, I think he just, it was too expensive and he really couldn't afford it. <laughs> like, yeah. um, he, uh, had spent a lot of money <laughs> and wasted a lot of it buying a whole bunch of survivalist stuff. And survivalist he, uh, yeah, there was, um, he was talking about quitting his job and living, like exploring and like camping and like going around the country and then just kind of camping and figuring out where he wanted to live that way and just kind of living out of his car. Yeah. Like an outdoor backpacker adventure. Yeah, but less, you know, uh, he wasn't like a big outdoorsy person. Like he didn't like hiking and stuff, but but yeah, it was just a... It sounds like he wanted to escape. Like he just didn't want the responsibility of it all. Yeah, and... um. So we, we, we settled, uh, we, we figured out how we were going to separate our assets. And then a little bit after that, we had a lawyer and we used the same lawyer to, uh, file for divorce. And it's funny. She said to me something like, like, this is so easy. Like I've never had clients where it was just so mutual and calm. Yeah. She's like, this is weird. Like you guys don't seem like. The divorce type, like you should be. Yeah. And she knew us beforehand because I came to her when my dad passed for handling his estate Mm. and she met Clint then. So it was funny for me to then come to her later and be like, I'm getting a divorce from him. And she's like, oh, that doesn't, that doesn't seem right. Okay. Yeah. Um, so he moved up to Salt Lake City and then... Yeah, he uh, quit his job and it was kind of funny how it happened. He didn't rage. He didn't turn in a resignation letter. He was walking through the hallway. He came in like late, I think. Yeah. Or he had was been... He still live, you guys still live in the same house? Yep. Okay, he lived yeah. in the house with me up until he moved to Salt Lake. He was just living in a one of the other bedrooms for the most part. Okay. And then we shared the common space, the living room. Uh he, I don't know, it just seemed like, well, the way it happened was his boss said, oh, it doesn't seem like you want to work here anymore. And he said, well, no, I don't. And so he handed his boss the badge and he just went to his desk and got his items or a couple of items. No, I don't. He just like grabbed his lunch and keys and then went home because they packaged up all the stuff at his desk and then like delivered it to him later. <laughs> Was was it his choice to not grab that stuff, or was it a company? I think he just wanted to get out of there. Yeah, Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, He was just like, "I'm done." So, what was it like while you were living together, but divorced, and he quit his job? It was so uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. It was like a totally different person. He was like a roommate, someone that I didn't really get along with (laughs) living there. I mean, we did. We got along in some ways, like. When we separated our lives so much that, like, we weren't doing anything together anymore and we were communicating over email and text message, um, that's when we started, like, getting along <laughs> and yeah, being able being to talk. Civilized. Yeah. 
But there are some things that it just, it was hard. Like, I I had shared the house with my spouse and my best friend, and then he turned into some stranger. And, you know, I still knew him, but he was a different, he was acting differently. And then, yeah, he moved up to Salt Lake. And we maintained contact. We talked probably a couple times a week. We chatted over hangouts. That's how we talked in the past. And that's how we always, like, we were constantly talking to each other through our relationship. It was just, like, that's what, one reason why it was so strange near the end. It's to, like, not have ongoing conversations with him. Yeah. Um, and then to have him just stop talking to me, stop telling me his random thoughts or opinions on things. When he stopped communicating, it that's when it felt like it was kind of over for me. And I knew I didn't want to be married to him anymore because he wasn't open with me anymore. Yeah. Um, and uh, he moved up with his family. He was up there not, not that long. Before he found a job. He did find another job. Yep, he okay. found another job. Was it something he wanted to do? Yeah, it was software development. Okay, so he, um, so he liked software development. Yes, he did. He enjoyed it. Although, I think he didn't want to work still. I think he didn't want to do all of that stuff that he had to do. He also, um, after looking at his journal, he made like a list of things that were stressing me the fuck out, he said. And it was like all of this stuff, like finding the job, the divorce, the the living with his family was stressing him out because they were like always asking how he was feeling and he was isolating himself. So that was stressful. He um, the new job was stressful, I think, because he just didn't want to work. And he, he still didn't want to work and do all that. Like, he just wanted to, I don't know. It's like he wanted to check out from life or something. Yeah. And um, Ironically. Yeah, right? Um, and he worked at his new job for, I think, maybe two weeks. He got one paycheck, I think, before he um, committed suicide. So how did he end up committing suicide? Like, what led up to it? What was your guys' interactions like? Um, I had talked to him the night before, or the day before. Wait, hold on. I'm trying to remember now. Okay. We had been talking beforehand because uh, our divorce was almost finalized. So it was yeah. like we'd done all the paperwork, and I just had touched base with him to make sure he had signed his papers and sent it back um and he received we both received an email the day that he passed from our lawyer that was saying you know just finish these documents and now that the waiting period for your divorce is done because they have like a when you file for a divorce in arizona you have like a six thirty. 60 i should have looked this like, up that's no, fine like a yeah grace a waiting say, period are you sure you want to do this kind of like yeah is that the government's way exactly like yeah it's just like you know to for the heat of the moment to make sure that this is actually what people want to go through with right. and that had finally come to an end so our lawyer was saying now that that's done now we just have to sign the papers excuse me and you know it's all over yeah once, once you guys once uh-huh. you sign these and he signs this yep. it's done yep um and 
I had messaged him randomly some funny things from Reddit because we both always sent each other like random. So you s- yeah, you still stayed in touch somewhat yeah. after you guys divorced. Oh and yeah, to Salt Lake City. Uh-huh. Like how often would you guys talk? Uh, every couple times a week, you know. Really? And it'd be like I'd be at work bored, and I'd send him links, and then he'd respond to me and like say some things and laugh and share some stuff. Yeah. You Did know? he express any emotion about? what was happening no or i'd ask him how it's going with work and he'd answer pretty uh simply he wouldn't go into detail he would just say yeah it's fine i like it like my coworkers, you know yeah that kind of thing wouldn't say much though yeah and then so what happened Mm -hmm. and then um i so i only know what people told me is that he he killed himself um he was in his vehicle and he was found on the side of a road. It was not even a mile from his house, his family's house. Um, he was on the side of the road and he shot himself with a handgun. And the police had found him after someone reported a suspicious vehicle on the side of the road just yeah. sitting there. And they had gone to his family that night, like midnight or so. So they found him, I think, somewhere around... 8 or 9 p.m. And then it was around midnight when they got to his family and let his family know. And then I didn't find out until the next day when I was at work. Did you guys happened. talk that day? Yeah, we talked that day that he passed. Yeah. I sent him a link to a funny article and he said, LOL. And that was, was like the last thing. What was there? Like, what was your reaction? Like how when you heard that? You heard it from his family? No, I heard it from the HR people at work. I um, wait. What? Uh. Uh-uh. So I um, I had been out of the office and I was scouting a photo shoot location, and I came back from that. As part of your job. Yep, it was part of my job, and I came back after lunch, and there was a note on my desk, and it was in my boss's handwriting, and it said. Uh, HR wants to see you and then it had like the floor number and then uh, a name and I thought I was in trouble like I thought I was like I had like I don't know done something wrong at work yeah and being like reported a disadulation or yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so I I went over to the HR department and I'm like hi I'm looking for so-and-so and and they said, oh, okay, yeah, um, go into the big conference room. And I went and I sat in the conference room and then they joined me and they said, okay, well, we're not, they're like, um, they, what'd they say? They asked if my husband was named Clint and I said, yes. And then I, they said that they got a call from a family member and that he had passed away the night before and that they that 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 was that that the family wanted me to know and so they were telling me so his family contacted the job his mom called the company and told them to tell you to tell me have you ever talked to the mom before? Were you in good standing with her? And yeah. Just like it was okay. Like, we talked occasionally. We talked uh, a bit because she and um his sister helped him move from Phoenix back to Salt Lake City. 
What was your reaction like when you heard that? Well, I mean, <laughs> it was like I got hit by a bus. Yeah. Like the floor fell out from beneath me. I didn't believe it at first. I was like, what? What are you saying? And they're like, um, yeah, his mom called, said that they wanted someone to be with you. Um, and they want, you know, wanted us to tell you that he passed. And I'm like, did they tell you how? No. Did they know how? No. Okay. So they said, uh, you know, I was shaking. Yeah. I was, I guess, in shock. And they said, okay, well, like, we'll leave you in this room. We'll give you a moment. And they left. And I called up, um, Clint's sister-in-law and said, I heard this thing. And she said, yeah. I said, I, I heard about Clint. And she said, yeah. And I told her that I heard from work and she felt awful about that, that she didn't want me to hear that way, that it, the intention was that someone would be there and I would be on the phone with his mom when his mom told me and that I just have someone there with me. I think it just got lost. She just wanted someone to be physically next to me when I heard the news. Right. So. But it got messed up. And so HR ended up just telling me. <laughs> How did that happen? Did his. So his. Was it his mom that called HR? Yeah, I guess. His mom called HR and then they tried to get a hold of me. And then. Why do you I, think she did it that way? Instead of. Well, uh, according to Clint's sister-in-law, it's because they wanted someone there. So I don't know. I don't know why she couldn't have just called my cell phone and told me. Like, I really would have appreciated if she had just done that, called me and told me. Obviously, this is not how I wanted to hear it. At that point, how much do you want your job involved? Not at all. I mean, I felt awful because I was sitting on this in the HR department. I was already like worked up because I thought I was in trouble. Like I'm okay. I am a good girl. I follow the rules and I am afraid when I am late to work. If I sleep in, I'm like panicking on my way to work because I feel like I'm messing up my job and not doing things right. So like I was already on edge for that. And then to have them give me this news and I'm shocked and I don't know what I'm hearing. And then I call up his family and I'm talking to the sister-in-law and then she's saying, she's like, yeah, he He shot himself. The police came and, you know, they found him and they came and told us last night. And I was just, I hated the whole thing. Of course, like, you don't ever want to hear that kind of thing. And I was in the most uncomfortable environment. I would have preferred that she called me so I could find a safe place to be rather than it being I'm at work in an uncomfortable place. Like, I'm in a giant conference room with the ugly ass magenta color on the wall it's not even a pretty color it's like i like the fact that you noted that it was magenta (laughs) yeah it's like this disgusting like magenta color and yeah i mean what can you say and i'm alone yeah i'm like at least if i could have been in my car i could have sobbed in my car instead i'm in a conference room in the middle of my work office crying you know yeah yeah so what'd you do after you like (laughs) gathered yourself i guess yeah i'm like well um i called my manager from one of the offices in hr and said uh, something happened and i think he knew he could tell that 
you know, something bad happened. Right. He was understanding and he said, okay, like you don't have to do anything. Just come and get your stuff from your desk and you can just go home. So I did that. I kind of sucked. I did not want to at all go anywhere. I just wanted to cry. Like that's all I wanted to do. All I wanted to do was like let the tears out. But I was holding them in and trying to keep from panicking. Like I felt I was feeling shivers. I was cold. I was like my hands were shaking Mm -hmm. and I had to like calmly walk to my desk and collect my things and leave without telling anyone why because I didn't think if I opened my mouth to anyone that I could do anything except sob and then I don't feel like our office is a place where that's at all okay to do you know so and then I just bolted to my car and I cried and finally I was able to start up the car and I drove home and I don't remember what I did. I'm sure I just ended up crying all evening. I know I contacted people. I called my mom and and I spoke more with his family about it. I got more details that evening about what happened. Yeah. Yeah. It's just overall it was kind of sucky. So what happened afterwards? Because you guys never signed those papers, right? Yep. So we were still married. So legally married. Yeah. Uh, so what's what's happened mm-hmm. since that? Because this was two years ago, right? Nope, one Your year ago. Your dad was two years ago, sorry, and he is it's one okay. year ago. Yeah. And um, like, how do you even? I know, right? I don't know what you would do next. It's like, what do I do? Am I? I had to go work the next day because we had a photo shoot at a orchard, something, a nursery. So I was there at work, working the photo shoot in addition to fielding calls from his family about the service. Like they were already planning his burial and what to do with his body. And they were making decisions because his mom and dad knew that we were separated, that we were going for a divorce, and they thought that the divorce had already happened. So they were doing all these things until I said, well, no, our divorce wasn't final. And then they realized, oh, so we need, actually need your signature on these things that we want to do with his body. Were they cooperative with you or were you? I. Do you feel like they were trying to leave you out of the I I feel like at first, yeah, they were because we were separated. And so I think they thought I wouldn't want to be involved. Okay. Probably. Yeah. I think it's more that way until, you know, I tried to say more and I wanted to be there and I wanted to do his, um, the pamphlet for his. Yeah. Um, what do you call it? Burial. I guess his funeral. Um, I, I wish... I have some regrets that I wish I'd spoken up to them more. They were telling me what they were doing, that they were going to have an open casket, that they were going to bury him. And those were things that I knew he didn't want. Okay. And so even though you guys like it's so it's so strange that the day that your divorce was finalized is the actual day that he shot himself, correct? Well, no, it's not the day it would be finalized, but it was the day that we would have signed the papers, yeah. Right, right, the day that you got the email of, right? Yeah. So at that point, did you 
did you feel still like he was your husband like you still felt connected to him yeah so you still felt that sense of responsibility as yeah. in your partner so you like even though you're getting divorced you, you yeah. never lost that and i was i was trying to find a way to like um adjust to life on my own and to being a you know a divorcee and a single lady who's doing her own thing you know i I was trying to adjust to that but i think i just hadn't gotten there and of course i still love clint i loved him through the whole thing it's just i couldn't live with him i couldn't live with his unhappiness and when i myself was already unhappy and going through grief and i'm just like this isn't i can't live with someone who can't live so yeah Um, wow that's a really i know interesting way to put it i can't live with someone who can't live wow so Uh, so the funeral proceedings you guys are yeah um so he was buried up in salt lake his family had a plot for him so was he buried or cremated he was buried yeah Wait, I thought you said my dad was cremated. Your dad? I'm sorry. I'm yeah, just, you're fine. The deaths are so close together. I know, head. and they're I'm both sorry. dudes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Clint was buried, and uh, I was that what you what he wanted, or you nope. wanted to be cremated? We had talked about it. We had made like we wrote out what we wanted because after my dad died, we're like, we have to know. We have to have this written out. We have to at least know what each other wants. And he wanted a natural burial where no one would see who he was. He also wanted his organs all donated. And if possible, he wanted his body donated to science, if possible. Right. But and none of that happened. No, he did not. The biggest thing was he expressed to me as he didn't want a Mormon funeral. But that's what he ended up getting, I guess. How do you feel about that? I'm pretty unhappy about it. I'm still unhappy. But I couldn't change things like I feel like I didn't want to cause any more trouble or unhappiness with his family. Right. And I also felt like because I'd separated myself from him that I now wasn't allowed to kind of make those decisions or say those things. Like I felt like, well, now it's more his family had him. And was doing what they wanted. And that's and a strange thing that even though you felt connected to them, that yeah, that you you were emotionally intelligent enough to understand the gravity of the situation, the relationship, the dynamic of the relationship between him and his parents, where yeah. you understood that you had to like step back a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna. I'm like, I didn't want to fight it, and if that's what they needed, if that's what his right. family needed, was this kind of uh, funeral proceeding. To help them adjust and cope and, you know, celebrate his life, then then that's okay. Then that's what they need because also in my mind, he's also dead. So there's not really anything he can say about it now. And it's so interesting that he, his family is so disconnected to him. Yeah. That. They had no he idea. Didn't get, he didn't get. They didn't know him enough to know what he would want. Yeah. In a funeral, even though you knew. Yeah. And he didn't get what he wanted because they were so disconnected. Yeah. And they're probably. I wonder if they're like happy with the way things are. You know, like the way they go. I think they're happy with how it went for yeah. them. I mean, of course they would be. It was in their church, and they had prayers and bullshit like that. Sorry, it's just Fun. not stuff. I know it's stuff that he would not like. I know that he wouldn't have wanted that any of that to be in a church because he felt so separated from the Mormon church. Like he was, 
he asked to be removed from their records because he wanted to be separated from that religion. And so it it was kind of upsetting for me that we had to have that. We had to have people pray over his body. But I also realized that it's what his family needed and wanted. And so I don't want to take that away from them if it makes them feel better to do that and come together and say words that need to be said for them then okay yeah yeah i don't know how's it been since like how you been um i mean it's only a year yeah it's literally only a year yeah Yeah. how has it affected you um like it sucks like i miss him all the time yeah yeah um like I deal with all kinds of emotions. I'm constantly struggling with guilt because I forced him to move out. If I had kept him and if I'd comforted him and done more to try to draw him out of the depression he was in, you know, like that could have saved his life. He could still be here. We could still be married. We could still be going on that European trip we wanted to do and we're planning to do. It's like, I, all these like dreams that we had together are suddenly gone. Yeah. And we spent years building them up, years saying, this is what we're going to do together. We bought this house and this is how we're going to make it our own house. And we're going to go and do these things. And now none of that is happening because he's not there. So I have, I'm like trying to figure out how to live without him. Yeah. It's really odd. Because you guys, you said you moved in when you're 18. Yeah. So that's like. I've never lived that's alone. Like a decade. Yeah. You, you, it's, it's a life, it's a new adjustment. Like it's a, it's, yeah. it's kind of like a new life. It's like it something is. you've never experienced before. Yeah. Right? Cause like, I used it's to, almost like starting fresh kind of yeah. mm-hmm. like a, like a second take on life, I guess, if I should say it that way. Yeah. No, it is. Yeah. It's like, I'm starting a new chapter. So I'm figuring out it's just me. Yeah. My kitty cats. Mm-hmm. You mentioned you felt guilty though, but like I, I listened to the story, and I'm I can't judge because I wasn't there. But like I feel like you did everything you could have to prevent that, and it's like we said, hindsight's always twenty twenty. So you yeah. could always go back and like pick the memory apart. Mm-hmm. But at least you were smart enough to like take him to the hospital and pay attention to like his moods and behaviors. Uh, yeah, and like, and then we did counseling because I'm like, I want to try this before we do anything more. I want to have someone, some independent person, help kind of mediate and help us work through this. Right. I mean, and then who knows? Wh- whoever in the planet knows that someone they love is ever gonna take their own life? Like, yeah, no one knows. And like, he, like, I would not have ever thought that he would do that because. He was never that kind of person. I was. I was the suicidal person in our relationship. I had the emotions and the depression I struggled with. And I dealt with suicidal ideations and still do. Like to this day, you still contemplate suicide? Yeah. I still kind of think about it. Huh? Knowing what he did? Like you? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I almost went through with it a couple months ago. Because and yeah, even knowing what it's like for other people afterwards, yeah, still want to. What stopped you from? I called the suicide hotline and talked to someone. 
long enough that it released the immediate need yeah to end my life yeah wow um, i'm sorry because i i've known you for more than a couple months and that's like um i don't even want to hear it because it's like yeah it's just please don't ever <laughs> do that if you ever feel like that then call me but how do you how, like i don't even want to say to that because it's like how, okay. do you ever do you feel like there will ever be a day where you will actually go through with it or i don't know i definitely thought there was sometimes i wish i had right now i don't but there are sometimes like This week was a little hard because it was the anniversary of my dad's passing. So on Wednesday and Thursday, I was feeling really down and I was feeling really alone in it. Like I just didn't have, I don't know. And it just was overwhelming. And at that moment, I wasn't planning it and I wasn't, but I, I was thinking that I wish I had killed myself because then I wouldn't be feeling the grief and isolation I feel now. That's what I was thinking this week a couple of times. So sometimes those thoughts go through my head. Yeah. Yeah. I've had those thoughts before. I, when I was, um, I don't want to take away from the gravity of what you just said, but when I was younger and I lived with my dad, I was drinking a lot. I was new to New York when I was like 17 and I started going to college. I mean, my dad have a strained relationship. Like it, it wasn't very good. Like it wasn't a pleasant relationship and it's not a bad relationship now. We yeah. actually, we get along really well, but I remember when I lived with him, um, the, and I've never said this to you, but I, I'm very interested in Clint because like we have a lot in common. Like I, a lot of the things that you say that he experienced, I went through. Like, really? Yeah. When I was living with my dad, and I was just like, I feel like I had no body, and I, I left all my family in Trinidad. Like, I, yeah, I wanted, like, I thought I entertained the idea of suicide, and it was like a very, it was like, oh, it got to the point where it's just like, how am I going to do this? Am I mm -hmm. going to start planning like, are you gonna it? Take, am I going to take a bunch of pills? Am I going to, uh -huh. you know, just like start planning it? Yeah. And I don't know how I got out of it, but I do remember, like, as I got older, I, I see a connection between alcohol consumption, my isolation, the relationships I was having, because I was with someone I dated for six years, mm -hmm. and then the girl I did after that, um, who I loved very much, I saw that when I was drinking i started drinking because that person needed to confide in me but at the same time i needed someone to confide in but didn't want to confide with anyone because mm -hmm. i didn't want to be dependent on anyone else yeah. for support mm -hmm. and then i realized that i felt alone i i think that's what it is like feeling alone yep and then i realized that mm -hmm. Well, now I realize because at, at the time I, I just, I didn't know. Well, no, you're lost in it. You can't right. see clearly from the outside because right. you're in your own head. Yeah. And, and then looking back on it, I feel like I was also a, like, I, I mature late. I think I'm a late bloomer in the sense <laughs> that like I'm now figuring out my shit. And what helped me <laughs> was to come to terms with 
and I, tr- I I pushed my family away because of my relationship with my dad. Mm-hmm. I wasn't talking to them. And now that I moved out in Arizona, I've been here like two and a half years. Like I've, I'm starting to reconnect with uncles yeah. and aunts that. Interesting how distance can help you right. do that. And a lot of it is just like me coming out on my own and being independent and saying, mm-hmm. okay, what do I want? What do, what kind of life do I want for myself? Yeah. And then like being able to take certain risks and say, well, listen, you have to work. Like mm-hmm. everyone has to provide for themselves, and like there's no escaping it. So it's like, yeah. And and then I, I I I've been realizing later on in life, like you have to have a balance. Like, you know, you can't immerse yourself too much in one thing. Like when I first moved here, I would, my job was everything, and then like mm-hmm. I started hiking, and I was like, okay, so if I don't work and then come home and just do nothing and drink when I get home, yeah. And I mm-hmm. actually like do something productive or read or like go hike or go to the gym. Mm-hmm. That somehow in whatever it's worth balances your mind and like hormones or whatever is going on in your head it helps like alleviate that pressure and responsibility of life because like it is i mean i don't say living is hard but like uh living is fucking difficult it is yeah there's so much responsibility in this day and age of things like and that's why I say, like, I f- I, I'm fascinated by Clint because, like, it's so it, the interesting thing is, like, I've thought about how I used to think about suicide. Uh-huh. And I remember, and now I'm like, wow, there was a point in time when I felt so alone and isolated that I wanted to kill myself. And then I realized, like, would I do it now? And I tell myself, that's a decision. Yeah. That's a decision you have to make. Like, there's a point where you're, I had to come to terms with, okay, am I going to choose to live and choose to decide whatever has happened? And mm-hmm. I think that what made me close that door mm-hmm. of like suicide mm-hmm. is I've come too far. Yeah. Like you've ac- accomplished I've, a lot. Right. And you've experienced so much already. Well, it, yeah. And it's like the just because like the first 34 years of my life was challenging, like life is challenging. Yeah. Like, that's just what life is yep. and it's how you deal with it. And then it's like getting better at dealing with things and then choosing to see what could happen next. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? I think that's how I kind of close that door is like, why would I make it through 34 years to end it now? It's like, it almost seems counterintuitive mm-hmm. just from a logical standpoint. It's mm-hmm. just like, nah, like I've experienced good things in my life. There might be more of that to come. So it's like, and with, with age comes wisdom, so you kind of get smarter, at least for me. Like, I got smarter, and I'm like, you know what? It it There may be, like, rough points in the future, mm-hmm. but I've been through rough points, so it's like, if I made it through those rough points, like, I'll make it through the next one. And I know what I did to, like, not deal with it properly in the past, so, like, now I'll just deal with it properly in the future. So it's like, yeah, you know what I mean? I, and, and that's just, like, my reasoning and logic. I could be wrong, but it's been working for me so far. And it's just, like, at that point, I made the decision, like, I'm never going to do it. I'm just yeah. never going to do it. I'm going to take what comes. You know Good. what I mean? Yes. I want you to say that because, like, I don't. Well, that's something you need to figure out. But I really, I'm working on it. Yeah. It's, like, yeah, I know. Um. I'm definitely a lot better than what I was back in, like, September. I don't know what it's going to be like next year when my wedding anniversary comes around and the anniversary of his death comes around again, but I was pretty down. Um, but 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 you know it's coming. 
Like yeah. you know the death of his anniversary is yeah. coming. So well, you know you're going to be sad. Yeah. And if you know you're going to be sad, then you could prep for it. And well, then you could say when that time comes, I'm going to deal with it in a certain way. So that the thought of. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, where it's like you're prepared for it and you prepare mentally for, okay, I know that's going to be this day or these couple of days. So what I can do is take these days off and do something that's for me, something that's more self-care and supportive and constructive. Right. You know, and have it prepared ahead of time. Yeah. So you're like, you have a strategy ready to go and you have a number ready to call in case like you need to speak with someone within. Right. And it's like, it's also not just the day. It's not the day. It's like leading up to the day can be so. The anxiety. Yeah. Of like it's that. just, oh, it's coming. It's coming. It's it's on its way. And probably like. Why, do, why is there so much weight on it? If you don't mind me asking. I have maybe. no idea. I don't know if it's just because I see it's coming. I know that. Well, my counselor told me that like the first one is always the hardest because that's your first time like dealing with the yeah. anniversary of, right? Yeah. Sorry, so you made it past a year. Yeah, I made okay, it through so a year. Okay, so mystery solved. Yeah. yeah. And then what I liked, my <laughs> psychiatric nurse, she said to me, you know, instead of focusing on the day that he died, like turn it around and find his birthday and focus on that and celebrate that and make that put that in your calendar so it stands out and you do something special on that day and then you diminish the day that he died because that's not what defines him it's not the suicide the way that he died that defines who he is it's his life and who he was so instead it's better to celebrate on his birthday because that's yeah what better Better way know. to remember him. Are they, do they have a doctorate in sight? So I used to visit a psychologist. Mm-hmm. And a psychologist, not for mm-hmm. my negative thoughts. So he just like wanted to figure out who I was and like where my life's heading and like mm-hmm. just trying to piece it all together. Okay. And um, I never went on medication because I feel like, I don't know. What's it like being on? I don't know. I mean... Uh, my head gets buzzy when I don't take my medication, but otherwise, buzzy? yeah, like, like, yeah, like, really? like I get, um, I get headache if, if I miss med, if my, I miss my antidepressant, then I will get like a headache and then my head gets buzzy and like, it, it's like, I can feel like a vibration. I don't know. It's not the right word, but I feel like noise or something going on in my brain, it just makes it difficult to focus. Is that a result of dep- becoming dependent on the medication? Well, yeah, because yeah. it's, you know, uh, chemicals in my brain. Right. Yeah. And I'm providing them with the medication I'm taking. So when I skip a day and it's not getting that regular medication it's used to getting, then yeah, I guess yeah. so. Yeah. And that's good. It's good. I feel like sharing it as well. Um, but I, the, the before you get, like, I know you brought notes, but well, before you get to that, I wanted to say, like, I'm pretty sure until you and like anyone listening, even you, if any, if you feel like you want to like not live anymore, I feel like if you text anybody in your phone, like anyone in your phone and you say, Hey, I don't feel like living right now. Like that's a different weight. You know what I mean? And I feel like if you reach out to anyone, they might actually come out come through to you you know what i mean and if that person doesn't try another one you know i guess that's part of the mind fuckery is that feeling of worthlessness and like i don't have friends like i i could see it with clint the way he 
isolated and separate himself from his friends. They wanted to help him, but he's right. just like, no, I don't want to put my burden on you. And that's kind of how I feel where it's like with the immense grief, I feel I don't want to share the sadness with anyone because I don't want to bring anyone else down with me. It's funny how that works because I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, and then with but the point is you have to understand that you're in your own head right now. Like, right, that's and, and that's don't what's want hard. To... It's hard to escape that. It's hard when it's overwhelming and you're stuck in that thought loop. You can say, "Yeah, just think yourself out of it. Think yourself out of it." That's yeah, but the I don't thing think, is you can't. Think, right, but th- I'm not. I'm not saying you have to think yourself out yeah. of it. I'm saying reach out to somebody okay. so that they can. Put your trust in someone else because I, okay. I think in that point, it's like... I wonder where the responsibility lies. Does it rely in the person who is feeling depressed and suicidal to reach out? Or is there a responsibility in their friends and family to notice and to reach out themselves and be there? Well, is, is it, it a, it's a combination of both? Yeah. Think, right? Like, I mean, if you're... Like, when I'm going through something... I'll reach out to my family in New York now that I never reached out before mm-hmm. when I lived there. Yeah. And they, strangely enough, the uncles that are supportive of me now are uncles that I wasn't very close to at all. <laughs> and it's so strange the bond I feel to them now because like. Wow, kind of funny how that turned out. Yeah. And it's like, wow, like I can't believe that things change for the better. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's just like us reaching out to each other, like mm-hmm. they reach out. like, And it starts with, hey, how are you? Yeah. You know what I mean? And then exactly. one day I was just like, fuck it, I'm not doing good, man. I like I, I don't know what I'm going through with my boss. And then Yeah. I, I you know what happened? I posted something on Facebook. I was like, I think I posted like, man, I don't know what's happening. Like I don't know what I'm doing myself. Who am I becoming? And my two of my uncles saw it and they were like, one lives in Florida, one lives upstate New York, and they both called me and they're like, Hey, are you okay? And I was like, No, I'm not okay. Like mm-hmm. my job is so stressful and like I don't yeah. know what the fuck I'm doing. I'm not making the money. I'm not married. I'm 34 and I'm single. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, yeah. And it's just like, I know. and then they say things like, man, we've all been there. And yeah. I think that's what people miss too. It's like the feelings you're feeling like where you, you're not alone. It's it, yeah. Like other people have experienced. That, I, mean, you know I mean, yeah, like, there are thousands of other million, people who have millions and millions possibly even billions of people yeah face of the planet at some point have been like but that's so funny how it's just you feel so alone in it in that moment right? yeah like you're in your own mind space i don't know for days leading up to when i wanted to kill myself like i'd but you're not alone that's what I'm saying. i know but you feel like it i don't know if it's the way like, if I push people away, sometimes it feels like you can tell people how you feel, but I, I don't know. Yeah. No, I get it. Because, like, my the one that got away relationship-wise, I pushed her away. Yeah. I I was, I my grandfather was dying. Mm-hmm. I started drinking again. She was making more money than me. My career was in the dump. And yeah. then I, when I needed her the most is when I said, I don't think this relationship is working out. And yeah. I feel so stupid for doing that because now I'm like, I should have just said, hey, I really need you right now. Like, I really need you right now. And yeah. it's just like, this is my ego of like not willing to admit that I need somebody else was. And and looking back on it like three years later, it's like that should have played out differently if I had just not. Just yeah. told her, been like, dude, I'm not feeling well. Yeah. 
And I, I, and you know, part of me at the time wanted to blame her. Like, you see my life and how it's going and you're not reaching out. Like, you're not being there for me like I need you. But it's like, yeah. everyone sees things from their own point of view. So it's like, if you yeah. want someone involved in your life a certain way, you just ask. And, and, and it's like the podcast. Like, I wanted you to be on it. And so I <laughs> asked you and you did it. And yeah. this makes me so happy that you actually took, <laughs> had the courage to like ah. comment up. Yeah, put my story out there. Yeah. Well, it's my husband's story anyway. Well, no, it's your story because you're yeah. like, he's not with us anymore, <laughs> but you are. So yeah. it's like, it's your story. But anyway, so you wanted to, you brought some information. Well, uh, I did. Um, I don't know. I guess you can cut this out if it ends up being a little too boring. It's no, go for it. Okay. It's so. I did do some little bit of research. Okay, I have to say that I've spent a lot of time reading about methods of suicide, like ways to kill yourself. Yeah, and I don't want you to share that. (laughs) No, that's not what I'm sharing. I'm just saying that I have done that. I've read into the best kind of ways to do it, different methods and survivability. There's no no best way to kill yourself. No, there's not. There's no good way to kill yourself because you shouldn't fucking do it. Don't kill yourself. Hey, I'm glad you're getting it. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? Um, But one of the things I did find fascinating as I was, like, doing that research, like, one of the things I do to, like, talk myself out of it was reading statistics about it. What do people find? You know, how does this affect the families afterwards? What's the trauma like? But um, some of the statistics just about suicide that I did find fascinating is, like, that males, like, are, it's they're four times higher, four times likelier than women to kill themselves. And they're more successful at it. Like. Ugh. I know, like women will do it. What does that mean for? I mean, I don't mean it's to like, make light of such a heavy situation, but what do that? What does that mean for it, gender inequality? Like, well, do, I don't know, but it's interesting. Like women, it's like they they will do it, but it, it's not as successful. Like when they attempt to commit suicide, it's not as successful, and it seems to be more done as a statement. And then men, like a cry for help, kind of. Yeah, if that is yeah. It's it's just you know it's yes, it's a cry for help, which is a, is a legitimate thing. Please, it's right. not when someone does try to commit suicide they're not just seeking a- attention because they're attention whores they're doing it because they are in pain and they need help right so i think it's really unfair when people see folks who have attempted it and then dismiss it like they're just emotional that's very <sighs> unkind yeah um but i do think that's interesting it's like men are just much more you know wanting to get it done you know and they're more likely to use firearms to kill themselves um and then i also found it interesting well i mean this is all from uh, the what is this the national institute of mental health those are the stats i pulled and did you know american indians and alaskan natives are like have the highest rate of suicide what yeah they're higher than white females and males it's interesting females and males white males yeah They'll, they're the native americans are more likely yep. to kill themselves than yeah the white yep jeez have. why is that i have no idea i mean maybe that says something As about how we treat suffered enough i know Jesus. right 
just how we treat other cultures and people. Yeah. Um, and I did want to kind of discuss, because this is such a heavy topic, I wanted us to spend some time talking about, like, things that you can say to people if you're noticing them feeling suicidal or if you're noticing them feeling down. Like, I feel like we could share with the listeners just some things that could be said yeah um to help people i don't know like because i feel like maybe people don't talk to those who are depressed because they think well i don't want to say anything in case like that makes it worse or i don't know what to say yeah so like after thinking upon it i just i feel like one of the biggest things that someone can just say is that they'll listen to you and like to ask questions and just say tell me about it like tell me how you're feeling to make the conversation happened to start it to ask someone and encourage them to share it because I know I myself like keep it to myself because I don't want to burden anyone else with my white female problems you know that I don't think I know problems I know (laughs) I know (laughs) I'm sorry (laughs) I know it's so weird it's just I feel like no one wants to hear it And I want, I try to reach out and I do and I want to. And so logically I'm constantly fighting that battle, but it's also nice to hear like my friends actually ask me about and say, you know, you're not looking so great today. You look a little sad, like what's going on, what's on your mind. And then to like continue to probe. So even if someone says, yeah, I'm feeling depressed or if they were even to open up and say, I'm feeling suicidal, like talk to them about it because Like, studies have shown that actually talking to people about it reduces their risk because they're actually opening up and they can have a discussion with someone rather than it continuing to be in their mind, you know? Yeah. So they can can see that there is an option other than death. Sounds logical. And then one of those other things that I, I was, I heard, I heard this on a podcast and it stuck with me, but, and I think I said this earlier, but that suicide is a way that people die and it's not what defines them so it's like when you're talking about someone who has passed or has you know they killed themselves like to talk about them as people and not as like the mode of death as like that's the thing that defines right yeah because it's a strange thing that we do as like it's just a alive. stigma yeah, yeah. Like we kind of like it's it's weird and I, I think it has to do with like i mean i'm guessing i'm not i don't know but if i had to guess i would say it's kind of like this primordial human mm-hmm. being thing where it's just like oh he didn't make it he wasn't strong enough yeah so like like that person doesn't deserve like they to were be weak. respected right yeah and that right. the, their the suicide is like a it's a like a bad thing, an embarrassing thing that it's right, like we stigmatize it. But yeah. I feel like that's more like a, a, a animal creature thing in our yeah. brain that happens, <laughs> as opposed to us saying like we fail that person yeah. as a community or as a society. Yeah. You know, if we looked at if we took that approach, then mm-hmm. things might end up differently for a lot of people. Yeah. You know I mean? It's like it, it, we well, just instead like, of like it's a very having more of the communal uh idea the wanting to as a society help and support everyone rather than you know pushing away those who aren't 
as well off as us or don't have the same mental health capacity as others do. Right. Like to look at someone and say, well, you're weak because you suffer from depression and you're right. not trying hard enough. So you don't deserve as much of my compassion. You don't deserve any of my compassion. Because, just get stronger. Yeah. Like just, just, just get, get over stronger. it. Get over it. Yeah. yeah. Like I have been told to get over it or I've been told that like, my depression doesn't compare to someone with epilepsy that, well, since I don't have epilepsy, I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't yeah. complain. Bob Marley says everybody thinks their burden is the heaviest. Yeah. And that always I, it's stuck in my head forever because I remember mm-hmm. like when I was younger, I was a teenager when I first started listening to Bob Marley. And like, it's true. Like yeah. You don't know what I'm going through. Right. And I don't know what you're going through. Yeah. So why play the comparison game? Exactly. Why can't we just like be there for each other? I know. And, and it's, it's like, like your own struggles are your own. And I can still be compassionate towards you and empathetic or at least sympathetic. Th- excuse me. Sympathetic. Well, both. Even yeah. if I haven't experienced it, I can still give you some compassion. You know? Yeah. I. So I have a question for you just because uh-huh. like you have a lot of experience. And, mm-hmm. um, I have one question before I ask that question. Did, mm-hmm. Do you know if suicide rates are going up or are they going down? Oh, they've increased. Yeah, they're definitely. Jesus. How much fun, if, well, not fun facts, but how much information? You get? Like spit out some stuff. I'm, okay. I'm so curious right now. Okay. Go I for it. Some of them. I don't, they're mostly charts. Like. Okay, oh my god, you have to see this one. This, like, suicide rates in the U.S., it's a map of the U.S., and it shows which states have, like, the highest suicide rates and then the lowest, and it's, like, this big block. Jesus Christ, that is where we live. Like, look at this. What is going on right here? Yeah, you can point into that. I know, it's, like, this, like, little column of what is going on and, and... I mean, Montana, I that makes sense. But then, like, Jesus. through Idaho, Utah, Colorado to Arizona. I mean, there are other states. and, and Can they, I say something about this? Can please. I comment on this? So, Go ahead. So I lived in New York, and mm-hmm. people give New Yorkers uh, such a hard time. But I lived there for 16 years. Mm-hmm. And people say New Yorkers are really harsh, and they're nasty people, and they're rude. <sighs> but New York is one of the lighter colors. Yeah. And what I personally have experienced since I moved to New York from Arizona, uh-huh. from New, to Arizona from New York, is that Arizonans are way more divisive. They look at you, like if I told someone who lives in Scottsdale, I live in Tempe, they automatically assign these lists of traits to me. Yeah. That And you could see it on their face. Oh, They're no. like, oh. Y- y-. We're so segregated, segregated and we right. stereotype everyone here. It's like it's in Scottsdale, so if you live in Scottsdale, you're a snob. If you live in Tempe, you're just like. A party person. Yeah. yeah. Or like you, you're living in a bad neighborhood or and whatever. It, do they not have that in New York where it's like, if you live in this borough, you're white trash. If you Fun live in- fact, Arizona as a state per capita uh-huh. has way more violent crimes than New York. Really? And, and ah. lar- grand larceny, which is breaking and entering. So, Jesus. So people in Arizona think that it's, you know, New York is such a hard, like, I wonder Things how many. Happen. I wonder how many people who think that haven't even been there and experienced New York. That's the other thing too. I mean, listen, I'm not dogging in Arizona because I am an Arizona. I live in Arizona, and I actually really like the geography here. And yeah. I've met good people like yourself here, Thank and you. and good people at my job. But <laughs> it's just like people just really need to be more educated. You know I mean? Yes. Like stop listening to the media. The media, is, Instagram, and Snapchat and is just not real life. 
stop being so hateful that's it like everyone i feel like a lot of the people i interact with there are nice people but there are those who carry like this hatred in their mind and it's like i don't know some of it's racism but they just can't imagine living in another person's shoes they can't put themselves in someone else's situation so they just see it from their own perspective yeah i i was talking to somebody you're right about that it's just like and that's that's empathy right yeah that's the inability mm -hmm. to empathize with to, another to human put yourself thing. in someone else's shoes and say how do they feel in this situation not how i feel about them being in that situation yes it's like what would i do or how would i feel and it's like i was talking to somebody i've had this conversation a lot with people mm -hmm. and people are scared people are scared to feel i think people are afraid of emotion and i think once you face emotion head on and you process it you could get past it yeah. But most people are afraid of change, so they're afraid to 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 go through emotion and then figure it out. And because maybe they're afraid that the person that they might become after is not somebody that they would like. Yeah, I don't know. It's like I'm not a psychologist, but I I don't know. Yeah, I know. We can all just we can speculate as much as we want right. over here. But those are just my theories, right? Who's offended? Say, yeah, in our <laughs> literal corner. Well, thanks for bringing it. What is? What else you got here? You went um, through this before. Yeah, let's see. What else do we have? <laughs> Goes without saying that firearms are the most successful and common method for a uh, suicide. Yeah. Oh, I do find it interesting. Okay, this one's, this one's good. So, fifty-six percent of men. This is all male. That's across uh, races. Uh, use a firearm in suicide, but women, uh, it's more thirty percent use a firearm and thirty percent uh poisoning. So that would be like sleeping pills. Yeah, almost, medication. Almost yeah. So it's interesting that's like a larger percentage of men will use the most deadliest form to kill themselves. How do you feel about firearms? As like, do you feel like because that's a hot topic right now? Like, well, yeah. Do you feel like? I mean, looking at this, just from a statistical standpoint of suicide, do you feel like... Because there's always a debate know, of, we, like, should we get rid of guns in this I country? know, right? Like, is it worth having guns just because of these statistics? Like, the enjoyment people feel from owning a gun. I'm just curious what your opinion is. To be completely honest, I don't think guns are necessary. I feel like... I feel like they are weapons to do damage and that there are so many people who are irresponsible um with them and yeah. that it's too easy for irresponsible people to use them right but i believe that people i do believe that people should have the right to own a firearm i just believe that it should be harder or not harder i think that people should be more educated in it i don't want to put up roadblocks to prevent people from accessing a right that is theirs i think that people need to know how to use these firearms and yeah. it's not just you can use a handgun you can use any kind i believe there should be like a lot of training involved safety measures I yeah but but i mean I'm, i don't mean to cut you off but at the same time like it, when it comes to the suicide 
Yeah. Those people know how to use it safely. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, it's my just, it was an intention. I think it more has to do with like, because I feel like we're never going to get a r- rid of firearms in the U.S. No. And so we should stop having that debate. Yeah. Like, stop having a conversation because we're never going to get there. Right. Mm-hmm. What is it? Second Amendment or yeah, First Amendment? It's our Second Amendment. Yeah. First Amendment is the freedom of speech. Freedom of speech. Right. So. Yeah, it's like it's not going anywhere. Like, I know. like guns aren't going anywhere. So. I and feel like our biggest problem in this country right now is mental health. Yeah. Like, it's the one thing that I is, completely agree. I hate to get on that bandwagon, but it's like, why is it the biggest it's thing? It's not right a now? bandwagon. It's a major public issue. It's like. So, what do we do? I mean, I think it goes back to healthcare. Healthcare in this country is majorly messed up, it's a for profit industry. And I feel like because of that, you can see why mental health has been such a problem in our country. Like when you make a profit off of someone's sickness, you don't have any real motivation to make them better or to make the rest of the country better. So I feel like if, if we fix healthcare and it's something I, I, cause I think some of the issues maybe, and this is just me postulating my one little you know, mote of dust in the universe here. But it's like, if people have easier access to mental health facilities, that is talking to someone or uh, being able to get medication without having to go through the high cost and all, I don't know. I just, I think if you make it easier and you remove the price tag from it and you make it available everywhere, that that will help this i feel like everything we talked about today was so good like in its own way it (laughs) was informative thank you for thanks for sharing and doing this with me thank you for inviting me on and letting me tell my story i hope your listeners can take something from this if anything just to listen to other people yeah yeah you're not alone even though you feel like it even though no. It might seem like that. You're really not alone. I know. Yeah. Depression just it doesn't let you see the love that other people have to give. Yeah. So. I've struggled with depression myself too. And one thing I, I've realized is like you ha- I have control over it. Yeah. How you you can't you could take control of it. Mm-hmm. You you know, I yeah. Start working at a job. My boss is pretty decent, fortunately. Mm-hmm. My workload's decent enough it's manageable but (laughs) it like you have to do things for yourself Mm -hmm. sometimes it means not isolating yourself but understanding some people may not they might love you and have your best interests at heart but it might also be you have to separate yourself from certain people yeah uh, and and they might have like a negative impact of just them being in your life. And I mean, if it if that's what it takes for you to feel better, if you need to remove toxic people, people then and then hang around people that will say mm-hmm. kind words to you and be nice and yes, and also take care of yourself. Don't yeah. like alcohol. I'm trying to cut out alcohol right now, but the more I go, more time goes on by where I don't drink. Mm-hmm. I'm slowly just becoming like more. My mood is leveled out my emotions are leveled out i'm like such in a good place right now (laughs) i'm almost like waiting for the media to strike i'm (laughs) almost like one of these days 
my phone's gonna ring and I'm gonna get the worst news in my life and I'm not no gonna but that's gonna happen in life regardless. Like like whether it happens today or ten years from now. You need to just be prepared for that. Right. So it doesn't right. bowl you over, you know? But you can't let that and I'm I'm just <laughs> indulging in my own self-talk like you can't let that stop happiness on a day-to-day yeah. basis like I, I exercise is very important eating healthier is very important fruits and vegetables i mean it sounds so stupid and basic, i know it's but the it's simplest like, things but when you make your body healthy yeah like giving that healthy vessel for your mind <laughs> yeah amazing what it can do do you feel like you're in a better place now considering everything or do you how do you feel about everything that's past so oh, no, it changes from day to day. Yeah. Overall, though, you know what? I feel good. Like, I am happy. I'm happy I'm here, that I have my fur babes, my two cat boys at home, and that I have a home, and that it's beautiful, and it's what I want it to be. And it's just, I think about things like that. I, I have family, and I appreciate all of it, and I am happy even though some shit stuff has happened like yeah. i think i'm actually in a pretty good place good yeah i'm glad i want you to be happy <laughs> and i want to see you grow old <laughs> i don't want to be if there the when climate you grow old, but, uh, yeah you know what i mean like yeah. I, I, I no bad news please i know um yeah i think we did two hours and 40 minutes oh my god (laughs) and it doesn't feel like it feels like yeah it passed really quickly i know thank you that was good how do you feel about it yeah you're welcome yeah Yeah. that was that was good i liked it like you said you kind of forget that you're wearing headphones you just relax and just get into the discussion good yeah i hope that the experience is beneficial and i hope that you leave here not regretting you did it and no. i hope that you feel good that you shared it because even in the short term if people you get like i've never done this before so even if there's negative <laughs> backlash to anything we've said i feel like the message long term will withstand whatever i don't know you know what i mean i like hope I, so yeah, that's all i, I can hope for is like i'm putting this out there so people can see kind of how something has happened, I don't know, maybe use it for their own life or if anything, be opened up to it because there are people who have never had a suicidal thought or in their life. Right. So this is kind of just um, a window into a different yeah. life experience. So, um, yeah. Thank you so much for having me on, Kevin. No, thank you. Thanks for coming <laughs> on. It's really brave that you did it. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs>